Good morning, everybody. <laughs> My name is Christian Kuhn. I'm uh, one of the lead pastors at Urban Village. We usually hang out on uh, Sundays at River North, but I've been coming to Wicker Park a little bit during this time of transition so that you know uh, who I am, my face, knowing uh, how much Wicker Park means to me and to the whole of Urban Village as well. Let me also, real quick before I begin, give uh, just a quick shout out to those who might be visiting for the first time today. I think we often forget that to come, especially if you came by yourself, and if you found us uh, through an internet search or on Yelp or however you found us, then to say, I am going into this strange building filled with people that I don't know, uh, filled with lots of rituals, I have no idea what they're doing, and I'm going to place myself in there and try to blend in, that takes an enormous amount of courage. Amen? So thank you. If you're here for the first time today, uh, you win the prize. Uh, so. Everybody wants to get naked these days, uh, and I'm not what to, sure what to do about that. Um, so this clip, as you saw, was from a show on VH1 called Dating Naked, and uh, because um, I love you so much, I did research on naked this week. Um, and uh, so, thank you, Mickey. Uh, so Dating Naked is a show that's been on VH1 for a couple of years, but in my research, I also discovered there are more shows about nakedness. Uh, so there's a show on the Discovery Channel called Naked and Afraid. Uh, I've seen some nodding heads here, some fans of Naked and Afraid, and this happens when uh, apparently so two individuals come together to survive in the wilderness for 21 days. Uh, and of course, they're naked as they try to make their way out and survive in these ways. Uh, also in my research, I discovered there is a show uh, on TLC called Buying Naked. Uh, and this show is where uh, a realtor helps nudists find homes. <laughs> so everybody wants to be naked, apparently, these days. Uh, Dating Naked, as, uh, as I said, a new show, fairly new show on VH1, uh, where this man and the woman come to a tropical island and they're naked. Uh, and then there are other naked people too, and so they date everybody. And then at the end of the time together, they have to decide who are you going to connect with in your nakedness. And my hunch is they're probably marketing this in a way to say that, you know, we're just getting rid of the initial awkward stuff first. We're just so you can see each other and who they are. And then after you've done that, then you really get to know the person, right? You get the physical stuff out of the way right off the bat, and then you get to really know who this person is. And of course, they're forgetting that uh, there are cameras rolling while all of this is happening, and there are probably producers backstage trying to manufacture conflict and drama. But that doesn't matter. This is real, right? Real life, reality. Well, I think we know probably why producers want to put a show like this together, because nakedness is titillating. Or rather, physical nakedness can be titillating anyway. But if you were to do a reality show that went something like this, let's tune in and watch two people become vulnerable with each other and become emotionally naked. I have a feeling that the ratings probably would not quite you know, hit those skyrocketing places that producers want them to hit. Because emotional nakedness is, is hard, sometimes a lot harder than physical nakedness. And yet, as we probably know, if you've ever been in a relationship at all, it is one of the bases for a good, healthy relationship. 
So today is the final sermon in this series that we've been doing called Some Like It Hot, where we are exploring uh, sex and relationships. And we explore lots of different topics. Last week, we looked at what it means to date and be single. So if you are in that category, uh, you can tune into the podcast for that. And we also wanted to reflect on long-term relationships, covenant relationships, so marriages, uh, unions, uh, if you're dating, if you've been dating someone for a long time, kind of explore what that is as well. So that'll be the focus of the sermon today. But I think some of the things that I mentioned can be utilized in all of our relationships with family, friends, uh, and also certainly in our relationship with God. So if you came here today and if you're single, uh, you think, oh, the last thing I want to talk about and hear about today is a, you know, happy uh, togetherness. Uh, I'm not going to be talking necessarily all about happy togetherness, but some of the things I talk about, hopefully you can utilize in all of your relationships as well. So first, let's take a look at this text that we read from Genesis this morning. Starting right from the beginning. So this is from Genesis 2. And you may be interested to know, because not everyone knows this, that there are actually two creation stories uh, in Genesis. Uh, I think a lot of us know Genesis 1. That's the one where it says, on the first day God created this, on the second day God created this, and it goes like that. We tend to just skip on over Genesis 2 and hit right to that tree, to Adam and Eve and the apple and sin and all that stuff. And we forget, in Genesis 2, there's another creation story. In my Bible at home, it says that. Sometimes if you open up the Bible, there are little headings on different sections of the Bible. In my Bible at home, there's a section that says another account of the creation. And to this day, whenever I see that, I'm like, oh, right, Genesis 2. Right? There's another story here to explore. So in this second story, God still creates heaven and earth, but there are no days here. There is no on the first day, on the second day, on the third day. God creates heaven and earth. And then when God is done with this, God creates a garden. God sets a little side, a plot of land, creates this garden. And then when God is done with this garden, God creating this garden, God does this amazingly generous, and I would say kind of a dumb thing to do. And that is this. God creates this amazing thing, and then God creates the first human. And then God takes this human and says to the human, you, I want you to take care of this thing that I have just created. Now, if you have just created something, if you're anything like me, you want to hold on to this for a while, right? Or if you're going to give it over to somebody, put them through lots of training. Give them some time to grow up a little bit. You don't just create something and then say, here, it's yours. But it's a good thing why I'm not God. God does this amazingly generous and vulnerable thing. I want you to pay attention to that. I'm coming back to it later. This very vulnerable thing to take creation and give it to the first human and say, here. Now, if the first human, of course, probably feels pretty good about himself at this point, right? And then God does something else, even more dumb. God does this thing where God has created, and again, if you create something, don't you want to name it? Like if you have a baby, don't you want to actually name this thing? God gives the first human the opportunity to name all the animals. So this first human is seeing all these things, and it's as if the first human is saying, it's as if I'm the only person on the earth. Which, of course, he is. <laughs> but the power that he feels in this moment, I have to guess, is just amazing. Right? Like, God has given me all this responsibility. God has allowed me to name these things. And then at this point, God maybe 
both knows that this first human needs a helper, and a key word in this text, a partner, a partner, and then maybe God is also saying, I probably need to help create some so that this first human doesn't think that he's the center of everything, right? So God, out of this first human, creates another human. And it's important, I think, to note something. This is a little bit of an aside. If you ever have heard someone say, well, husbands slash men are superior, and they may give you lots of reasons why, and they may include some of this story in Genesis, right? Because out of man, they took part of man and made woman out of that. That's one reason why men are superior. And you may think to yourself, well, how do I respond to that? Well, there's lots of ways you can respond to it. But you can also say, well, man was also created out of dust. So does that mean that man should be subservient to dust? No, it's not the way God created things. And so here, God does not create woman to be subservient to man. Again, the, the, the language here is partner, to work together in this way, so that this first man knows that it's not just about me. And wouldn't it be great, and we continue reading through this scripture, we get to verses 24 and 25, and it's this lovely passage that says, therefore a man leaves his father and his mother and clings to his wife, and they become one flesh. And the man and his wife were both, what? Naked and were not ashamed. Wouldn't it be great if it all ended right there? But it doesn't, does it? There's Genesis 3. And again, I read back in my little Bible, little subheadings above all these different, in my, in my Bible at home, Genesis 3, above that, uh, it says, the first sin and its punishment. So God had given limits to these first humans. God had done this amazing, this amazing thing. It says, here's this garden, you can do all these things, but, but, here's what I want. You can eat from any tree except from the tree of the knowledge of good and evil. Don't eat from that. You can have anything else, but not this. And then in Genesis 3, we see the man and the woman say, hey, what about this other tree over here? And they eat from it, and their eyes are opened, and they see, hey, I'm naked. You're naked. We can't have that. Let's cover it all up. So we see then in Genesis 3, the first sin and its punishment. And it gives us perhaps the question, why is it so hard to be naked with each other? Well, I think probably it comes back to what I was talking about earlier in this first man, this first human, and that is, so often, we fall into the trap of the first human. And that is that we think the world revolves around us. Maybe I'm the only one in the room who thinks this way. And if that's true, then just hear me out. Let me give a time of my own personal individual confession, and you can pray for me as I'm doing so. But often, I fall into the trap of thinking the world revolves around what I want. Right? I expect everybody to believe what I believe. I want all of my relationships with my wife and others around me, all of you at Urban Village, if you would just do what I want and do what I say, we will all just live a much happier life, won't we? And I think perhaps we all fall into that trap, just like the first, man, we think we have this power, right? And I'm the only one in the world, and everybody should just obey me. Everybody should just have the kind of power that I want, just do what I want. 
We fall into this trap, and then this spills over into our relationships. And particularly, if you are in a relationship where you're married or you're in a covenant with somebody, that spills over even into that relationship as well. And we don't think it does. We should think, oh, I'm, I'm selfless here with this person. But if we really take a hard look at things, we realize sometimes like we expect this partner to form into our image. We expect them to do and obey us in all kinds of ways. And I hate it when I write a sermon and I'm writing a sermon and I'm thinking, what do I, what does God want to say to the people here today? And then God says, well, you know, Christian, what about you? And I'm like, Lord, I'm not hearing that. I'm hearing what I need to say to the people. And then God says, well, let's take a look at yourself as well. And I said, Lord, what are you talking about? I'm, I'm emotionally naked with my wife. Right? I sh I'm vulnerable, all these things. And then I take a really second look again. I'm like, maybe I need this too. And try to figure out the ways that I force my wife and to do the things that I want. If she would just act in the ways that I would want, we would have a, just a, so many, we have a happy marriage, an even happier marriage, if she would just do that. But then I stop and realize, like, well, no. <laughs> I become selfish. And I think that it should all revolve around me. Now, sometimes we might see somebody else who's selfish, somebody else who thinks the world revolves around them, especially in very extreme cases. And we think, well, at least I'm not like them. So here's an extreme case uh, that I'm talking about. So my hunch is that many of you probably don't know who the president of Turkmenistan was between 1985 and 2006. So we could actually, I forgot to do this for the first service. Let's take a quick look where Turkmenistan is on a map. There's Turkmenistan. So we should know it because it's right, we hear a lot about Iran and Afghanistan. Right north is Turkmenistan. So you can go home and press your friends and neighbors. You know what country is right above these two countries. <laughs> Turkmenistan used to be part of the Soviet Union. When it became its own nation in 1985, it was ruled by this person. So the person that we're going to show up, there he is. This man was named uh, Supermat Niazov. Supermat Niazov. Uh, thought so highly of himself, he gave himself a new name. His new name was Turkmenbashi, which means great leader of all Turkmen. Turkmenbashi was a dictator. Uh, he, even like he took dictator to the most dictatorish degree. So here's what he did. Between 85, 1985, 2006, so the parliament, he had the parliament declare him president for life. And if he didn't like certain things like beards and ballet, he would ban them. He denounced gold teeth as unhygienic. Uh, he also loved to name things, if this is sounding a little bit familiar. Uh, a London newspaper said that he saw bread Turkmenbashi saw bread, and he said, this bread now will be named for my mother. I'm not joking. I mean, I'm not joking here. This was really what he did. And then what he would do, he would take certain months of the year and rename them. So he took January and said, January will now be named after me. He took April. He said, April will now be named after my mother. He took different years and named them for certain members of his family. In the year 2003, he said, 2003 will be named for my father. 2004 will be named for my mother. 2005 will be named by, or called the year of the Runama. And Runama, of course, is a book that he wrote about how to be a good Turkman. So we see or hear stories like this, like this guy is like, he's out there. I mean, really narcissistic, the world. So then we see somebody like that and we think, I'm not like that. So then we fail to really take a good 
hard look at ourselves when in fact we are called to do that and think, am I being emotionally naked with those closest to me? Am I being vulnerable with someone that I truly love? That's really hard to do, friends. You know why? Because it means that we are giving up power. It means that we are giving up thinking that they have to do everything that we want. We give up that ability to name things and to obey, saying, I want this person to do these things for me. And when we become emotionally naked, we set that aside. And that is really hard to do. Because again, so much easier if they just do what we want. And if we think that my relationships revolve around my needs and my desires, but that is not the beginning of a really healthy, long-term relationship with somebody else. Instead, we have to do the hard work of being emotionally naked with somebody else. And if we might think, well, how do we do that? Where is our model for that? We can go back to, remember what I said earlier in Genesis 2, where we say God makes creation and then is vulnerable and says, here, you take this. I trust you. Amazing vulnerability that God shows, which I think is a really wonderful model for us in our relationships with each other and with God as well. To be vulnerable with somebody else and to be vulnerable with God so that we say, this is who I am. This is me, Lord, or this is me to the one that you love. That's hard work to do because you're nervous about how am I going to be received? With God, we can be assured, I hope, you know this, that God will receive us. We are emotionally naked with God, no matter what. We can swear at God. We can turn our backs on God. Say, God, what are you thinking? God receives all of that because of how deeply God wants to be in a relationship with us. We can't always be guaranteed that with somebody else, they're going to receive us in that way. We may have been burned in the past when we've done that. So I want to name that. You may be here today and you've been through a, a painful divorce and you think, I tried to do that before and I was rejected. And so there's a lot of time that's going to be taken before you to be able to do that again. And then this is the flip side too of the challenge of being emotionally naked is not only to be emotionally naked yourself, but then to receive that emotional nakedness. That's the other part of this. If somebody is being very vulnerable with you, if somebody is setting aside their own power, and they're all thinking it has to be this way for you to say, I will receive this from you. That also is kind of a challenge because that can be awkward when someone else is emotionally naked with you. So because I mentioned earlier in working on this sermon, I couldn't help but be thinking about my own covenant that I have. I've been married 21 years. This, in two weeks on Halloween or so, it will be the 23rd anniversary of our first date. So in reflecting on all of these things, I was thinking about my relationship with, uh, with Anne. And as I thought about ways that we are emotionally naked with each other, then I also thought about how she receives my emotionally nakedness when I'm actually able to do that. And I thought of three instances in particular where that happened for her. So it's one thing you should know <clears throat> about me is that I'm, I'm not a huge, like, big time, like, crier, like, weeper. I mean, I get choked up at times and tears may well up my eyes, but like really crying. I, sometimes I wish I could, like really just a good cry. And that just doesn't come naturally for me. Um, 
But there are times in my life when I have. And then I think often it's when my wife is around. And the very first time I thought of it was our wedding day. And so we were there. And uh, so I was there, and we were in that little side room, and I was gathered with the other groomsmen and the pastors who were doing it. And so and a wedding day already is emotional. But then that day, my mom and dad had just uh, recently gotten a divorce, and so they were in the same space in the same time. And so that was also stuff was just building up inside of me. And so as I'm in this room, uh, and we're praying, and it all just hits me, and I just start weeping just start crying. And I think to myself, why am I crying like this? This is awful. I'm trying to be like a good groom up there and like, hey, here it goes. And then she's walking down the aisle and I just start crying all over again. I'm like, stop it already. Why are you doing this? And Anne sees me crying and something just, I think, made a transition within her. She just knew I need to be here for him today. He needs to know that someone is going to receive this nakedness that he is showing before everybody. Second time I thought was the day I was ordained. Another very emotionally powerful time after the service, Anne gave me this hug and just something within me just, the waterworks just started coming out and I'm just sobbing into her shoulder. And she just takes it in and she's receiving it like that. The third time is when I ran the Boston Marathon of all things. And so I have run the Boston, I ran the, I qualified for the Boston Marathon and was feeling you know, pretty good about times and what I wanted to run. And that was just a disaster on all kinds of levels when I ran the, the, that day. I ran, felt great for the six, first 16 miles. The last 10 was just a train wreck. Uh, and I was stopping and walking and sitting and all these things, didn't know if I'd be able to finish. And so I finished this thing and then I see Anne and again, I'm just exhausted and I just start crying. And I think Anne probably is thinking, why? But she just takes it. And she lets me just sink into her. And she doesn't say, this is weird. And she doesn't say, why are you crying? You just finished a marathon. She just receives it. She receives my emotional nakedness. And I think this, friends, when the text says that the two become one flesh, often we may think of the physical component of becoming one flesh. Maybe this part of it, but this moment when she is holding on to me and receiving my tears into her shoulder, that's one flesh. When I am able to get over myself and be emotionally naked with her, and then when she also receives this from me, that is, I think, one of the foundations of what I think is a pretty great relationship that I have in my life. And so think about your own relationships. <clears throat> Again, maybe you are in a covenant relationship with somebody and think about these questions. Are you being emotionally naked with them? And then are you receiving their emotional nakedness with you? And if you're not in that place uh, right now, think about other relationships that you have. Are you being <clears throat> emotionally naked <clears throat> with friends or family members? And are you receiving that in return? Are you being emotionally naked with God? Or are you stitching up some clothing? If you see nakedness, then you become ashamed of that and think, I gotta put on some clothes here. Because <laughs> that's not good. Or are we able to begin to shed that with God and say, This is Lord, this is who I am. Knowing and trusting 
that God is receiving that in return. Friends, all the reality shows you see on TV, I think we know that's not reality. When we can become emotionally naked and receive that, that's real. That's one flesh. And I believe, as Genesis 1 says, and God saw all of these things, and God saw it was good. And it's the same, hopefully, with us, too, that we see this happening, and we also name it, this is good. And we have the courage to become naked in that way, knowing that God names it as good, too. Let's pray. Holy, loving, and gracious God, thank you so much for creating, and thank you for being so audacious and generous and allowing us the freedom to create and take care of your creation, and that includes the relationships that we're in. Help us, Lord, as we're in those relationships, to be vulnerable, to give up power, to think that we have to control everything, but instead to let go and let you into this and to let the other, this other person who's been created in your image to join with us in becoming one flesh as we seek to be one with you. And it is in Christ's name that we pray. Amen.